I don't know what I expected. I first met RJ a number of years ago. And uh, I was, uh, so I'm a church planter. I planted a church. I've been here one time to speak about that before. And I was meeting RJ, and uh, I, I don't know what I had pictured, but I remember having a lunch with him, and I just thought that there was going to be this uptight, serious man who showed up for lunch. And I was so surprised because I don't know where I got this idea from, but he showed up, and I found the most joyful, humble, servant-hearted man of God. And uh, you know how first impressions can be deceiving sometimes? The more you get to know somebody, the more you realize, man, I was wrong. I've known RJ now for, I think it's been close to a decade, and it's actually been the opposite. The more I get to know him, the more I realize that he is the real deal, a man of God and a man of sterling character. And let's face it, uh, part of the attraction of RJ is that he's also married to Joelle. <laughs> and Joel is, as well, just a joy and has been uh, such a great uh, blessing of God, and they've both been an encouragement to us. So, Creswick, I want you to know, as RJ begins his ministry among you, he is a man of God. Uh, he is not perfect, as none of us are, but he, you will find that he's a man of, of joy, a man of genuine love of God, a man of humility, and a man of faithfulness. And uh, today I'm so excited that God has brought such a man into your midst to be your pastor. And RJ, I want to tell you, I'm both thrilled and sad to see you come here. I'm thrilled because it's clear God has brought you here, but I'm sad because you're leaving Toronto. And I'm so glad that uh, I think our relationship is going to continue. I know that. Uh, we're going to continue to see you. But I rejoice that God has brought you to this church. We've been praying, a lot of us uh, in the fellowship, that God would bring the right person to this church. And I believe God has answered that prayer. And I rejoice that this has happened. And so, uh, RJ, I'm thrilled for you as well. But also, I have to admit, a little bit sad that Toronto loses you. And so what I want to do today is uh, I want to just preach to RJ for a minute. I don't get to do this very often in church. You know, years ago, I, I figured out uh, in my early years, uh, you know, sometimes during the week, it would be like, you know, there's so-and-so that really needs to hear this. And uh, in my immaturity, it's like, I'm going to prepare all week because I think this person needs to hear this message. And in God's providence, that week, that person was never there. Because usually, you know, I'm called to preach to all of you, uh, not just to some of you, but today, by design, I get to preach to RJ, and I know he's here. So RJ, this is my charge for you. 2 Timothy 4, verses 1 to 2. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing in his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. There's so much here to unpack, RJ. I want you to first notice the stakes. Paul goes out of his way to raise the stakes. It is a charge. Paul says, I charge you. This is not a suggestion or an idea. It's not an option. It's not one thing among many that you can do. This is a charge. Preach the word. I want you to notice as well, RJ, that it's a charge before God and Christ Jesus. 
And here's the amazing thing that both father and son are very concerned with this charge. God is paying careful attention to how you fulfill this responsibility. Most of us, when we're charged with something, the stakes are very low. If uh, Joel tells you, you know, when you go out to Costco, don't forget to pick up this. It's a charge, really not before God and the son, maybe, but father and the son. It's a charge that really doesn't matter that much. If you forget, you can go it again. This is a charge that really matters. This is a charge that Paul says is before God and Jesus Christ. The father and the son are very concerned with how you carry this out. And I want you to notice as well that it involves eternal matters. Paul mentions here that Jesus Christ is he who is to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing in his kingdom. And what he's saying here is that we preach, we carry out this charge in the presence of our eternal judge and king. I love how John Piper says it. The stakes are raised to life and death and beyond life and death to the final judgment. And this is why what we are doing here is much more important than the installation of a mayor or a governor or anyone else. And so please understand here, and all of us, this is all of us, the stakes are very high here. What God has called RJ2 is not simply another job. This really matters. All of our responsibilities matter in some way to God. I believe that all of us are called to serve God with all of our lives and that all of our vocations matter to God. God is concerned with the accountant and the bookkeeper and the school teacher and the factory worker. But RJ, I want you to notice the, the stakes are eternal with your role. Many other scriptures speak to the job that God has called you to do. Preaching is not the only thing God has called you to do, but never minimize the importance of the charge that is given here. It matters for eternity. Well, what is the charge? I want you to notice what Paul says. He, he begins by raising the stakes, by charging the presence of God and of Christ Jesus, who is to judge the living and the dead by his appearing into his king, and by his kingdom. Here's the charge. Preach the word. Preach the word. RJ, God is calling you not to simply explain or teach or dialogue. In today's world, a lot of us say, why preach? A lot of us say, why can't we just pool our ideas? Why can't we just have a discussion? And there's a role for pooling our ideas. There's a role for a discussion. But Paul here says, listen, preach the word. God is calling you to stand up and deliver and apply scripture to his people so that they know God and honor him with their lives. God is calling you to preach. And what are you to preach? Paul's very clear. He says, preach the word. You do not have a choice as to the subject or the content of your preaching. You are not called to preach your ideas. You are not called to give life tips. You are not called to read the newspaper and come up with interesting facts to give to your people or read the latest books to give the world's wisdom. You are called to preach the word. Your preaching should really be characterized by unoriginality, not in its presentation. You should be creative in how you express it. But the content of what you preach must be that which has been preached for thousands of years. It must be the gospel. It must be completely unoriginal. Because what we need is the word. I read this week that Einstein uh, gave a test, and every year he gave the same test. And after a while, the students and the other faculty began to catch on, and they said, 
Einstein, you're so smart. Why do you keep giving the same exam every year? And Einstein's reply is because the answers keep changing. And that might be true in science. That is not true when it comes to theology. We learn new things about science. We do not, we, our, our understanding of science is corrected. RJ, you are not called to discover new things. You are called to discover old things and to bring them to bear to the congregation. And so please, RJ, this is a, a function of, of what Paul has just written in the previous verses. Paul has just finished, after all, saying that from your childhood, you have been acquainted with the sacred writings in chapter 3, verse 15, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. And then he says these magnificent words, all scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. It's because the word of God is this powerful, this unique, that that is what you are called to preach. And so preach the word. What John, said, John Stott said is right. Nothing is more important for the life and the health of the church than biblical preaching. Churches live, grow, and flourish by the word of God. The health of this church will be directly tied to the faithfulness of the proclamation that takes place here. And again, please understand, I really wrestled with what to preach. I, I sensed God was calling me to say this. I understand that RJ is not only called to preach. There are many other things that RJ is called to do. I could have talked about the importance of watching your life and doctrine, 1 Timothy 4.16. I could have talked about the importance of shepherding the flock among you and how to do that from 1 Peter 5. I understand that preaching is only part of what you've, God has called you to do, but it is a central part of what God has called you to do. So preach the word. The preaching of the word that takes place here matters not just to the people here, but it's a charge that you receive in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus. And the vitality of this church moving forward will be a direct result of your faithfulness to the charge that you are receiving today. And finally, RJ, uh, notice what it will take. The kind of ministry will require a few things, and Paul describes them here. It will require preparation. He says, be ready. <laughs> be prepared. And this involves your life. This involves your walk with God. This involves as well the message, the care that you give to preaching the word, to be preparing the word of God. Be available and be ready at all times. But also be persistent. He says, be ready in season and out of season. RJ, preach when it's convenient. Preach when it's not. Preach when you are going through a spiritual high. Preach when you're going through a tough spell, a dry period. Preach when the people are receptive. Preach when they're not receptive. Preach when it's easy. Preach when it's difficult. Don't let your circumstances dictate your commitment to this task. And then preach with application. I love that Paul says, reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Don't preach in the abstract. Don't get up here and give dry theological lectures. I love theology, but that's not what you have been called to deliver. Only theology. We need more than theology, not less. You are called to preach God's truth to people here, to call people for a verdict, to call them to love and adore Jesus Christ, to call them to respond in faith to what God has said, to call for a response. Understand the needs of the people here and bring God's word to bear on their lives. And then he says to preach also with patience. 
And I love what he says in verse 2 with complete patience. I, I don't know anybody who has complete patience. But Paul says, man, as a preacher, you're going to need it. And that's because as you get up and declare God's word every week, you're going to look out. And by the way, you all look amazing today. I just have to say this. But you know, the, the reality is, as we sit under God's word, the change is slow. And sometimes the preaching, it doesn't have an immediate effect. There might be a word that RJ preaches that you hear, and it, it's planted, but it springs into life weeks or even years later. And so the reality is that change does not happen overnight. Stay at it. It's really drip, drip, drip. Change will come through the faithful long-term preaching of the word. It is, please let nobody, there's such a, a move today to discounting the power of the preach word. Do not do that. Change happens, but it doesn't happen instantly. It happens as the spirit applies the word of God, as we hear it and absorb it over a long period of time. And finally, he says to preach with doctrine. He says, and teaching. RJ, give them the truth of God. Teach them about God and his ways. Give instruction on sound doctrine. The world today, and we know this, the world is never a friend of God. We're being indoctrinated with all kinds of, of myths and lies that pull us away from what God intends for this world in every area of life. And so RJ, recalibrate how the people think about God by giving them truth helping them see the way the world is made according to God, his designer. Help them understand God, who he is, the glorious truth of what he's done in Jesus Christ. Help them understand who they are, deeply loved by God, that Jesus Christ has done everything necessary for their salvation, that they couldn't be more loved than they are in Jesus Christ. Help them understand all of God's counsel. In these two verses, God gives enough for a preacher to run on for decades. He reminds you of the importance of your task. He tells you why it matters. He tells you what that task is, and he tells you how to do it. And RJ, you are a man I deeply respect. You are a faithful preacher of God's word. You have blessed my life by your capable and skilled handling of God's word, by how you've been obedient to God, that you've allowed God to preach to you first as you've been a man of his word. And I charge you, continue that work here. Be ready in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with complete patience and teaching. And God will do his work through his word. My prayer for you is that you would have so much joy as you faithfully preach God's word here. I pray that, and I can tell, I've speak in a lot of churches. I can tell when I go into a church that's well-fed because as God's word is opened, they lean in. There's a hunger to hear from God. I sense that here. I pray that as you continue to preach here, that the people will continue to lean in, not to hear from you, but to hear from God through you. I pray that the people here would become more alive to God and his glory, that the theme of your ministry will be Jesus Christ, that you will love Joel even more deeply than you do today, that you will rest secure in who you are in Jesus Christ. I pray that you would have time off, that you would be able to lay down the burdens of pastoring, I pray that by the time you're done here, whenever that is, hopefully a long time from now, I pray that you will be a man marked by even greater humility and love than you are today. May God bless you in your ministry here. Preach the word. And RJ, I want to leave you with this promise from 1 Peter 5, verse 4. As you are faithful to your calling, remember that when the chief shepherd appears, 
you will receive the unfading crown of glory. RJ, uh, I, I'm not used to preaching to one person. <laughs> I'm going to turn my attention to the rest of you, Cresswick. Um, I, again, I am so thrilled to be here today. I just get the sense, uh, and I had this when I preached here before. Can I just say, by the way, Pastor Sam has been sent by God to this church and has been used by God in this church. You have been well looked after through his ministry. I, I just sense that what God has done here is he has brought you uh, a man who is going to pastor you well. And I want to charge you, again from Scripture, and I'm going to be fairly audacious here. Uh, I was thinking about what I'm going to say to you, and I was thinking how completely bonkers it is, except that it's in Scripture. <laughs> I would not dare to say these words to you on my, I, these are not my ideas. I would never dare to say these words to you if, if they weren't in Scripture. And so I'm going to say something to you that... Um, is only true because God's holy word says it's true, not because I say it's true. Hebrews 13, 17, this is my charge to you. And hear how shocking this is, my friends. Hebrews 13, 17, this is my charge to you, Cresswick. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Cresswick, this is shocking. Nobody uses words like this anymore. When I was married, uh, we were clear with our pastor that we had shaped our vows, and uh, we, we knew what we wanted them to say, and in the middle of the vows, our pastor slipped in when it came Charlene's turn to say the vows. Uh, he, he said, and Charlene, will you repeat after me that I will love, honor, and obey. And though that word obey was not supposed to be in the vows. And so Charlene said it. I mean, what do you do on your wedding day when the pastor's like, are you going to obey? And that night we were talking and I said, Char, do you realize that when you said that obey part that you stuck your tongue in your cheek? And she said, there's no way that I did. Well, we got the wedding video and sure enough, when it got to the obey part, uh, she stuck her tongue in her cheek and it was there for all to see it. Who talks about obey anymore or submission? I, I've done weddings and I've had the one request be as, as I do weddings, please, could whatever you do, do not talk about submission. Please leave that part out. We do not want that to be part of our wedding vows. And yet here today in God's word, Hebrews 13, 17 says this, obey your leaders and submit to them. And here, uh, I want to clarify, here's what it doesn't mean. This does not mean that you do whatever RJ says. It doesn't mean that you become yes people. It, it means that we have to understand this in the context of all of Scripture. 1 Peter 5 talks about the fact that pastors are not called to domineer over those in their charge, but to be examples to the flock. 
And I want, I want to say that this command is predicated on the fact that you have godly leaders. A good pastor is never on a power trip. A good pastor is a servant. However, this is a call to a certain attitude towards your leaders that goes completely against the grain of culture. It is, an, it is a call to an obedient heart. Then as now, we're really not new on this, it was human nature to resist authority, even good authority, and question those in leadership. If you look around at our culture, the whole culture is predicated on question those in authority. If somebody is in leadership, automatically they are suspect. They are in a position of privilege, tear them down. Do not trust them, but question them. Make life difficult for them, they're probably taking advantage of you, so question leadership. And so what the writer to the Hebrew says here is, as God's people, we are called to actually have a different attitudes towards those that God has put in leadership over us. Not just RJ, I'm gonna speak primarily of RJ today, but to your elders. For those that God has placed to serve you here. And in this passage, Hebrews 13, it gives us three reasons why this is so. Why are we to obey and submit to spiritual leadership that God has put over the church? Well, first, because of his responsibility. It says, speaking of the elders, they are keeping watch over your souls. The term literally means that they keep themselves awake at night. And what this means is a good pastor actually cares to the extent that they lose sleep over you. Good pastors really do care for their people. It is not just a job. It's not something that they, at the end of the day, that they leave the office and they stop working. There is a weightiness involved. I love uh, one time when the Apostle Paul was giving the list of sufferings that he went through, and he gave quite the list, you know, being shipwrecked, being almost killed, uh, all these things. And at the end of it, he says, on top of that is a daily care for the church. And what a, a statement that you would think that it would be enough to be almost killed or shipwrecked or whatever, but he says, you know, the list of sufferings that I carry is just this weight of responsibility that I carry for the people of God. Because of the weightiness of the task that God has called you, your elders to, friends, submit and obey to them. The, the other thing that the writer to the Hebrew says is also, why should we do this? Well, because of their accountability. He says in verse 17 that they are those who will have to give an account. Now, if I were to say everything I could say about this, I would say that their, their authority is, is directly tied to Scripture. I would say that the minute a pastor or elder lifts their finger out of Scripture and begins to give their opinion, their authority starts to wobble. And so their leadership is really tied to their obedience to God. They're, they're under shepherds. They're not the ultimate shepherds. But there is a reality that they will have to answer to Jesus. Your pastor and elders are charged with the responsibility for caring for you, and they will have to give an account for how they do so. They will answer to God for this. If you picture when you cross the border, you remember we used to do that? There used to be an express line, and then there would be a secondary inspection, and it would be like, you'd hope for the express line, right? We get our Nexus card out. We hope to get through there as soon as possible. But then there was, there was unfortunate people who were pulled over for secondary inspection. 
And it's like, be prepared. You're going to be here for hours because we're going to go through your car. We're going to like go through your suitcase. You are not crossing the border until we take a good look. And what he, the writer to Hebrews is saying is, look, I don't know how this will work in giving an account to God one day for our lives, but there is a sense in which pastors and elders, we know we're going to be called over for secondary inspection. God is going to examine not just your life, but your faithfulness. I'm preaching to them. Sorry, I switched back to you. God is going to examine your faithfulness. And so therefore, Cresswick, given the weightiness, given the accountability that they have, we are called to help them. We are called to make their job easier so that their, their weighty responsibility is easier because of the way we relate to them. And then kind of ties to the last reason that the writer of the Hebrews gives. And he says this, Cresswick, it's actually in your best interest. He says in verse 17, let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. The writer points out that it's actually in your best interest that if you have godly elders, that it is your, in your own best interest to, to joyfully submit and make their job easy because happy sheep make happy shepherds, which makes for even happier sheep. And that's the way it works. Happy sheep make for happy shepherds, which makes for even joyful and happier sheep. I love Charles Simeon. He wrote these words hundreds of years ago. If you know anything about Charles Simeon, you know that he didn't have an easy church. He had the opposite of an easy church. And it, but it got there through perseverance. And he said this, how deeply are your interests involved in the exercise of your minister's soul. When he sees you disobedient to the word and regardless of his admonitions, how do his hands hang down and his spirit sink within him? Truly it is with grief, with groanings, that he goes to God from day to day. And the whole of his ministry in its ardor, in its unction, in its whole character is lowered when he has to labor amongst a proud, a worldly, contentious and gainsaying people. His mouth is stopped and instead of finding an enlargement of mind, a liberty of speaking towards them, he cons he's constrained rather to speak only in tears of anguish, as it were, in the groans of one travailing in birth. In other words, he's saying bad news. When the people of God do not have this attitude towards their pastor, it's bad news for everybody. But he says, on the other hand, what tender strains did the apostle address those who had received this word with power? and evinced its influence by a holy and heavenly conversation. And then he quotes, he says, he was among them as a gentle as a nursing mother and was so affectionately disposed towards them that he was willing to impart not only the gospel, but his own soul also because they were dear to him. Such then are the feelings of faithful ministers in this day. They experience either straightness or enlargement according to the evidence at disposition that becomes the gospel or a state of mind tending to obstruct its influence. And therefore, Cresswick, quoting Charles Simeon, if you seek nothing but your own good, you should, by a loving, submissive, and obedient spirit, encourage the efforts of your minister to impart comfort for his soul. And so friends, I call you, not because I think it's a good idea. In fact, this is audacious. If it's my idea, it's not my idea. I would encourage you, I would charge you, do the countercultural thing. Make RJ's job as easy as possible and your elder's job as easy as possible by joyfully submitting to them, by cultivating a heart of gratitude for them, by making their job and caring for you as easy as possible. Friends, be, show up Sunday 
having prayed all week for a hungry heart to receive the word of God. Ask God to give you an uncritical spirit. Pray for him, encourage him, honor him. Make it easy for him to care for you. Just so that, not just so that his job is easy, so that you thrive. I love how Jared Wilson puts it. Jared Wilson used to be a pastor. And you know what happens to pastors when they stop being pastors and they just join the, the pew? They get cranky. <laughs> it, it's, it's sad. Some of them get cranky. But he says this. Jared Wilson says this. He left the pastorate and now he's, he's no longer a pastorate. He's in the pew and he says this. It's my goal now as long as God would have me simply be a shep, sheep and not a shepherd to be as low maintenance as I can possibly manage for my church. When my pastor sees me coming, I want him not to inwardly sigh or tense up or have to marshal some extra patience or energy, but actually to relax a little, to smile and to feel safe. Friends, I've, as I said, I speak in a lot of churches. I can tell the ones that love their pastor. But please understand, not one of them has a perfect pastor. I haven't met a perfect pastor yet. When I'm in that church, I can pretty quickly tell the things about that pastor that are suboptimal, but I can tell the churches that love their pastor, and there's a marked difference. There's a health, there's a vibrancy there. So RJ, preach the word. It really matters. Do so with preparation, persistence, application, patience, and doctrine. And Cresswick, as RJ loves you, and as he points you to Christ, imitate him and submit to him. And my prayer is that RJ would faithfully discharge his responsibilities here. And I pray, Cresswick, that you would faithfully follow the pastors that God has given you, the elders that God has given you. And I pray that together, you would run hard after God together, magnifying Jesus' mighty name more and more so that as the world sees how you live, they are drawn to Jesus and they say, what a great Savior. And so, Father, this is my prayer. Would you allow RJ to be faithful? I pray that his ministry here would be characterized by being tethered to your word. I pray that he would be known as somebody who loves you with all of his heart. I pray that the great theme of his ministry would be the excellencies of Jesus Christ. I pray that as people hear him preach, they would forget about RJ and they would have eyes only for Jesus. I pray that every member of this church would feel and know that they're loved by their elders, that they're cared for. Lord, this is my prayer for them. Lord, I pray for Cresswick that you would bless this church. I thank you for the godly leadership that you've given in the past. I thank you for how it's continuing today. Lord, make this a joyful church, a church full of people who are running hard after you together. I pray you would pour out your blessings on this church. I pray for unity. I pray for love, a culture of love. I pray for a sweet spirit, which is what I have exactly sensed here today. I pray that in the coming days that their baptism tank would be overflowing. I pray that there would be conversions taking place. I pray that their impact in Guelph and beyond would be rich. Father, I pray all of this would be for your glory and your glory alone. In Jesus' name, amen. And now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. 
Amen.